and through all of that. And so just keep praying for Honduras. We're going to be talking about uh, about that throughout the year. We're going to go back again in June. Uh, we're actually praying about doing a pastor's conference in September down there. And so God's just really doing some great things. And so uh, we're just going to keep leaning into that as a church because we believe that God is not only a generational God, but he is God all over the world, right? He is God, and we see him moving and working in every sphere, on every continent. And uh, it's just humbling that we get to be a part of it. So uh, if you join us for the first time, we are in a series. We're doing a book study where we dive into a particular book of the Bible, and we are in the book of Esther. Esther. That's right. We kicked it off last week. And um, I want to catch you guys up just a little bit and then want to pray and then we're going to jump in, okay, uh, to that. But we're in Esther chapter 3 and 4 today. Esther chapter 3 and 4. If you have your Bibles, if not, the parts that I'm going to read, we're going to have on the screens for you as well. But to catch us up, we have our main character who is, you can guess it, Esther, right? So we got our main character, Esther, there. And she has come onto the scene. And the reason she has come onto the scene is because we have a king. His name is King Xerxes. You also, if you read one particular translation, he may have another name because one is a Hebrew name, one is a Greek name. So different translations use those different names in there. But it's the same king that you read, King Xerxes. And as uh, we see, he has become king and he's throwing this ginormous party, which is about six months long. He has a six months long party and then he has a another party which is about seven weeks long and the drinks flowing the wine's flowing the all of this is happening he's trying to impress everyone and so he tries to get his queen his current queen Vashti to come in she refuses and so he removes her from her queenship and they have this beauty contest to bring in the new queen well Esther wins that and she becomes the new queen that we see in Esther chapter 2. But as the story progresses, we see that Esther has an older cousin named Mordecai who adopted her when she was really young. And so now we see how they're working together. And Mordecai is an official in the king's court. And so he has a big role to play in this whole huge story uh, all throughout uh, the book of Esther. And a fascinating fact is, is that Esther is, one of the, is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's name specifically. But we see his fingerprint all through the story. So we talked about last week, sometimes we, we can't see maybe God moving in every aspect of our life, but we have to look for his fingerprints. We have to hold on to his truth. We have to hold on to his word, to what we know is true. And so that the book of Esther reminds us of that. And then also just the uh, overarching theme in the book of Esther all throughout the Old Testament, really, is that Esther is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. And that's the same for my story and your story. Uh, Daniel Kazza is not the hero, but Jesus is the hero. And my job and our job is to make his name famous all throughout the world. That's why we go to Honduras. All of those different pieces is to make Jesus famous. And so I want to pray for us. And then we're going to jump into Esther chapter 3 and 4. Is everybody feeling okay? Feeling good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth, God. God, we are so thankful that we get to gather together just to open up your word, to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it, to uh, be shaped by it. God, thank you for each and every person that can hear the sound of my voice, God. I believe that they are here for a reason and not by mistake. God, I pray that we can just take the few moments that we have and with all the aspects of life and the multifaceted uh, things that are going on inside of our minds, God, that we can just... We can lay those at your feet, God. 
And I pray over the next few moments you would help us to sort those out. Or more importantly, you would just help us to cling to the cross, God, as you help us walk through those moments and everything that we do, God. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen. Uh, I began to think about Esther chapter 3 and 4. And it made me think about uh, our lives. And there are, as we look back over the, the whole maybe grand scheme, depending on your age, you can look back. Even if you're a student in high school or college, you can look back to your younger years and realize and begin to think about all the choices that we made, right? We can look back and maybe even pinpoint some major life turns or verges or whatever it is to some minor choices that we made in life, right? Or we could look back and go, oh, I made that choice or we moved to this place or I took that job or we did this and it began to change and alter our life a little bit. And we see that the choices that we make affect how we live our lives, right? But then it kind of it weighs on us, right? Because choices can be heavy of going how do I know what choice to make? And how do I know what God wants me to make? And, and how do I know I'm making the right choice? And all of these different pieces, right? And then, you, then maybe you get married and you have kids or you bring other people into your life and the choices that you make not only affect you, but now they affect other people, right? And maybe you have influence at uh, your job or in your neighborhood or in your family, even brothers and sisters. And because of that influence, now my choices don't just affect me, they affect the people around me, right? And so we feel that. We feel the weight of that. And so as we think about all of those different aspects, what do we do, right? Like how, to, how do we face the choices in life and go, what does God want me to do, right? And we may ask that question or what is, or maybe we just ask the basic question of what is the right choice or what is the choice that I need to move forward? Because can we be honest with each other? We're all family here, as Jacob said, right? Um, not every choice is crystal clear, right? Not every choice is, is so clear that we're like, yes, this is it. I think there are moments and some choices that we make in our life where we go, all right, this is it. Well, I know this. For a fact, but there's sometimes when it feels like the song we just sang, right? God, I'm just trusting you because I'm not fully sure. And this is even a storm and I'm going to take this step and you're going to have to show up, right? Because we see this faith step that God is calling us to take. So how do we make those choices? What does that look like? And the amazing thing is when I read Esther chapter three and four, we see that Esther is faced with a monumental decision. She has a choice to make. She has to figure out what am I going to do? And I believe that you and I can gain some wisdom and insight of the process that she walks through to make this choice, to make this decision. And we see how God uses the decision that she makes uh, to influence everybody around her. And so as we look at that today, uh, I, I called us up to where uh, Esther chapter 3 comes in. And the, a big thing begins to happen because at the beginning of chapter 3, we're introduced to a new character. We see this man, Haman. He comes out from the backstage, runs onto the stage, right? And he is presented here in our story. And Haman becomes this top official. The Bible even describes him as the top official, as the top noble. So he has influence over all of the kingdom and we see this Persian empire and Haman jumps into this realm but 
Haman's background, we see that he is uh, what's called an Agite, and the Agites have a deep, deep history with the Jewish people. In fact, they, they tried in the past to wipe out the Jewish people. And so we see immediately as he is put into power that our friend Mordecai, he knows his background, and we don't know the full details, but all we know is that Mordecai refuses to have anything to do with Haman. Because we, we don't know if Haman was uh, talking about it. If We don't know if Haman hated the Jewish people, whatever it may look like. But whatever their relationship was, Haman refused to have anything to do with who this guy was in power. So much so that they created this law. Apparently in the Old Testament, when you got in power, they liked to create these laws where people had to bow down to. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Like he made statues of himself. He wanted everybody to bow down to him and just to feel the power right. And so when Haman got into power... They had this rule where you had to bow down as he walked into the room. He had to show respect. He had to show that authority. But Mordecai refused. And Mordecai is also another official. So you got another official of influence who is standing there and he makes a decision. No, I can't do it. I cannot bow down to this guy, Haman. And so, of course, Haman is furious. You sense in a theme here? We saw that King Xerxes got furious and he started to make certain decisions. And we see the we pick up here in Esther chapter three, verses five and six. And this is what it says. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality. So he decided it was a not not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. I'm talking about that's some anger, right? Not only he's like, it's not enough that I'm going to take care of Mordecai. No, no, no. I want to wipe out. I want to genocide like the whole Jewish nation. I want wiped out. Can you see how much anger and hatred is in his heart? And maybe some of that was seeping out. That's why Mordecai New. And so we see this begin to happen. But the first thing I want us to pick out here in this story is that we have God's people, the Jewish people. And if you remember in the book of Daniel, they were held and taken captive, right? And then uh, they were slowly beginning to go back. And Nehemiah built the wall. If you remember the book of Nehemiah and Ezra helped them lay the law back out. And this is where we pick up here in Esther. But uh, we see that some of the Jews were left in this empire. And they're, they're, they're believe that a lot of them have gone away from the way of God. And they started living the way of this Persian empire. And so we see this back and forth begin to happen. But all the way throughout the Bible, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, we see that when God's people begin to move, when God's people begin to work, and honestly, sometimes when God's people are just trying to survive, we see that they face opposition, right? We see it over and over again where God's people were held captive and a man named Moses came to set the people free and he set them free. And then hundreds of years later, they were taken captive again, right? And we see all of this opposition begin to happen. And then in the New Testament, we see it then comes back and uh, the the. Christians, are they gathering and working and moving? And we see a mighty move of God on Pentecost where 3,000 people come to know Jesus in one day. Can you imagine the line for baptism? That's pretty crazy to think about. 3,000 people in one day come to know Jesus. And immediately they are met with opposition. And the first martyr, Stephen, is there. And the, the Christians scatter. And everywhere they go, they meet this opposition. Because anywhere that we see where God wants to push back darkness, 
we see that there is an adversary. That we have an enemy who is going against God's plan. While we're still here on earth, we see that there's always going to be this opposition. And so as we see this, I think for you and I, that changes the way we live life a little bit, doesn't it? And I want, if you're taking notes, I want you to, I'd love for you to write this note down. Expect opposition and be ready to overcome it. Expect opposition and be ready to overcome it. Because I believe it changes the way we live a little bit, right? Because uh, it's almost like we have this, um, sometimes we're thinking, oh, God is with me and it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. And I'm going to kind of just coast through life. But a lot of times that's not reality, right? It's, it's we face this opposition. And I would even say we need to expect it. We need to realize that there is an enemy out there. Ephesians 6 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities of the dark world, right? That there is an adversary out there who wants to stop. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Did you hear my southern accent? Kill, kill, and destroy. Uh, but kill and destroy. We see that the enemy is coming. He's doing that. But Jesus says, I have come and to give life and to give it more abundantly. And the enemy and, and the descriptive words in that sentence are a little frightening, right? Or a little crazy to still kill and destroy. Like he's not beating around the bush right there. No, he wants to wipe out, just like we're seeing in the book of Esther here, not just you, but I want to wipe out every influence that I can ever think of and imagine that is, that is fighting for the name of God, right? Because if goes, the enemy knows if I can take him out, I'm not just not taking him out, I can take his family and everybody that he has influence over. So you and I to realize that, but here's the thing, not only do we expect it, but God has given us what we need. To overcome it. We see in Ephesians chapter 6. He says you will face opposition. You can almost expect it. It's like you wake up that morning. And I love this. We um, uh, read in Ephesians 6. And he says I want you to have the armor. Right. I want you to prepare for battle. The illustration. The imagery that he uses. Is that you need to prepare for battle. When you wake up. Why, why do you need a sword of truth. And the belt. Of, I mean the belt of truth. And the sword that is God's word. And a helmet of salvation. And the breastplate of why do you need that? Because we're going into battle. We're going into this spiritual battle every single day. There's an adversary out there that's trying to still kill and destroy. But God is going, I'm going to give you what you need to help you overcome. Right. And that changes the way we live our daily life, because now I know I'm going to have a spiritual battle today. I need to be ready. I need to have my spiritual armor ready. I need to know who I am in Christ, that I am saved. I am redeemed. And that helps my thought process. The battle starts in my mind, right? When the enemy throws the fiery arrow at me and say, you are not enough. You can't do it. You are worthless. You can't be used. Nobody can use you, right? You would be better off dead alone or just gone. Nobody even needs to see you. You can fight that to go, no, I know who I am in Christ. Jesus loves me so much that he left heaven and died on the cross. Even though I turned from him and ran from him, he saved me and changed me. I know that's who I am. And so I'm able to walk out into the world knowing who I am in Christ. God says, begin to protect your heart. The breastplate of righteousness, because out of our heart flows what we say and what we think and all of those pieces. And God is going, I want to change your heart first so that you understand. And that way you can live your life out of being and not just doing. Right. But then he says, how beautiful are the feet. Right. The feet who bring the good news, because he's saying you will have to go out. I'm going to call you out to to live for me. But you have to be ready 
Not only be ready, but almost expect the opposition. But know that God has given us what we need to overcome. And he's saying, I'm giving you the full armor of God. And if you read Ephesians 6, do you notice the armor that he gives us? The breastplate, the helmet. He gives us the, the belt of the word of God, the belt of truth. And he gives us the, the feet to go out as the messenger and the sword, right? The offensive weapon, the sword and the shield of faith, right? Like all of these pieces. Do you notice he doesn't give anything for our backs? Because you and I were not made to retreat. You and I were made to move forward. You and I were made to stand back to back. To go, I'm not turning from this. I'm not backing down. In the book of James, it says when the devil comes at you, what does he say? Resist. Stand firm. He doesn't say run away. He says, no, I've given you what you need to overcome. And he's saying, I want you to resist the thoughts. I want you to resist the, the urges, the desires in us. I've crucified those to the cross. And now God is changing those things in me. And I'm moving forward in Christ, not in my strength, but in his strength and in his power. And now I'm almost expecting it. I'm ready for it. I'm preparing for it. I'm training for it. All of those things, right? Because I know I'm going into a spiritual battle because there's going to be opposition that we face in and throughout every single day. And so we don't live uh, in fear, right? Because perfect love casts out fear. I know who I am in Christ. I, I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I know that God has even given me the power to do that. And so we begin to see what God can do in and through all of those different pieces. And so as the story progresses, we see this begin to happen. And so uh, Haman is so furious and so angry that he wants to wipe out not only uh, not only uh, Mordecai, but all of the Jews everywhere. And when he does this, he goes to King Xerxes and you can see that the king kind of has a hands off approach because he just walks up to the king, and goes, hey, I had this idea. Uh, somebody is disrespecting me. He's disrespecting the kingdom. And I think we should wipe out the entire Jewish nation. And the king, like when you read it in the Bible, the king just goes, okay, yeah, just do that, right? And so he turns and they begin to cast lots and they create this plan a year from the, that moment of where they, they call it a year from now. That's the time that's going to pass when they're going to give the order where every Jewish person is going to be wiped out. So, of course, Mordecai being official, he hears about this plan. He hears about what's going to happen. And he understands that the person who he raised is now the queen of this empire, who is also a Jewish person. But she has not released, this is who I am, this is my background, this is my nationality. Because the decree that the king just gave was the, to eliminate the queen that he just put into place. We begin to already see how God is moving and working, right? We already begin to see how Esther was put into the queenship. And now the tide starts to turn in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, the person who is in the right position, in the right place that God ordained, is beginning to unfold. We begin to see this. We see this in Esther chapter 4. We're going to read here verses 7 through 17. Everybody still okay? I tested my mic this morning. I was like in the middle of the crowd. So I know I can reach out there. So, you know, I tested it. We're good. I, I can just walk the aisles. Uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Mon uh, Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave uh, Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked 
Hathak to direct her to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials, even the people in the provinces, know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called me to come to, his, to, come to him in 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Lean in, listen to this right here in verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in this palace, you will escape like this. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made for made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids will go do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to. So Mordecai hears of this story. He brings the person together and he sends this message to Esther. And he goes, Esther, did you hear what's about to happen? All the Jews are going to be wiped out. And Esther sends back and goes, I can't go to the king and, and beg for mercy. Like anybody that goes into the king's court will be killed if you're not invited. You don't just show up into the king's court and, and ask for things and, and beg for things. And, and you just don't do that because he will have you killed for disrespecting him like that or coming into the king's court. And so she sends that back to Mordecai. And Mordecai sends back a message and he's like, look, don't think that you're going to be spared. And I love the faith of Mordecai here in this moment because he said, what does he say? He says, God's people. They, they will just rise up from somewhere else. Like, right? Like, God's going to do what God's going to do. His promises will not be stopped. They will not be thwarted. He's like, but maybe, just maybe, you were made queen for such a time as this. God is going, and Mordecai begins to lay this out of going, listen, you, you need to make this happen because you're not even going to be safe in your queenship if you don't stop and you don't do something and beginning to do this for the Lord. And I love her response because you see her resistance, right? You see her wrestling with the idea of what is the right choice that I need to do, right? Like she's even pushing back. Like I can't go to the king. Like I'm going to have to risk my life. And so she's battling with this choice. But what she does is she says, go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. I love that. She is facing this big choice. She's already kind of leaning and knows what choice she's going to make. But she says, you know what? I need to seek the heart of the Lord. And not only that, I need my people to fast and pray along beside me so that I can have the strength, so that I can have the, the, the know what to say and all of this to be able to do what God is asking me to do. And I think this is a big principle for you and I. Praying and fasting are a way to seek after the heart of God. And I believe that you and I, that we can pray our, our faith stronger. We can pray our faith stronger when we seek after the heart of God. And I remember I was sitting in this uh, pastor's round table before we planted a church. And one of the guys around, he says, you know, what do you do when he was just kind of asking for himself? And he said, what do you do when you feel like you've kind of gotten stale? You've lost the fire. You've, you know, what does that look like? What do you do? So people kind of went around the room going, you know, I, I always read the book of Romans. It just whatever, you know, so they're, they're laying all these things. Well, it gets to this one pastor and he goes, you know, 
Anytime I feel like that, I go into a fast. And every time I go into the fast, and I spend that time fasting, when I'm fasting, I'm praying to the Lord. He said, God ignites something in my heart. But God begins to move inside of me. And he says, God begins to give me some clarity in that moment. And for you and I, we see all throughout scripture that fasting is a moment for you and I to go, you know what? I'm going to remove this from my day, remove this from my schedule, and I'm going to replace it with seeking after the heart of God. I'm going to replace it with praying. I want to replace it with like, maybe this, they were not going to eat for three days and three nights. So they have plenty of time to fast and pray, right? They're going to be hungry, but they're going to be fasting and, and hungering after the heart of God and they're spending all of that extra time going God I just want to hear from you I want to hear from you so much that I'm willing to not eat for three days right like I want to hear from you so much that I'm going to give up TV for a week and every time that I would watch TV I'm going to open up God's word I'm going to spend that time in prayer I got I'm going to love you so much I'm going to delete all the social media apps on my phone and I'm just going to spend whenever I would click on Facebook I'm going to click on you version I'm just going to soak in God's word I'm going to spend that time in prayer because when you and I, when we get close to the heart of God, things become more clear, right? When we get close to the heart of God, things become more in focus. And this is what Esther is doing. And we draw our strength from the heart of God. We draw our, even our position in Christ. And I would encourage you, uh, I'm not a big like a formula person, but can you imagine like when you're praying before God, one of the things I try to do is every once in a while at least is get down on my knees to pray. Because in this position right here, this is, it's really hard to be proud right here, right? Like it's really hard to go, here's everything I got, God. But in this posture, in this position, it's almost like, God, I got nothing. I just need you. Now, I'm weak. I'm lowly. And then if you want to get like real crazy, depending on how good your knees are. But like, I mean, this this position right here, my shirt's going to get dirty. But um, get this position right here. This like, think about this. When I'm pr- how proud can I be right now? My face is in the ground and I'm just going, God, I just need you right now. Right. Because I, I just want to I want to hear the heart of God in this moment. And we see even through scripture, there's moments where people are crying out to God. It says that the Daniel, he was praying three times a day on his knees, facing out onto the and through the uh, window and people could see him praying. But they're saying, God, I just I want you so much. I want to hear your words. I'm crying out to you because when we pray, it gives an opportunity for God to fill us up. It gives an opportunity for us to refocus on what is important. It gives us an opportunity to see what God wants to do. And especially in the moments and seasons of our life where we're going, God, I don't really know what to do. I just need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your direction, God. I need what you would have for me to do. And we see this begin to happen. And then Esther gets up this, musters up this courage, right? Because she's seeking after the heart of God. And God gives her this extreme clarity. And in that extreme clarity, all of a sudden, life becomes more focused. And she goes, if I must die, I must die. But I know the choice that I need to make. I know what the right thing to do is. And I'm willing to literally risk my life to do the right thing, to stand up and to have a voice for these people. And I'm willing to move forward and step forward in this because maybe God has put me in a place for such 
a time as this. And I can't imagine a more relevant statement for you and I today in 2023 because we may all be looking around us and going, look at what's going on around us, right? And we can look at it in the perspective of, oh no, what's going to happen? Oh no, I can't believe this is happening. This is terrible. I can't see this. Or you and I can look around and go, maybe, just maybe, we were born for such a time as this. Maybe God knew what was going to happen in America. Maybe God knew what was going to happen all around the world. And he said, I'm going to place these people in this particular area with this kind of influence so that they can live for the gospel. They can use their influence for the name of Jesus, right? Like maybe you were born for such a time as this. I don't believe that you and I were made in this generation on or by mistake. I don't believe we're placed in this area by mistake. I don't believe we're placed in the places that we are by mistake. God knew where we were going to be. He knew what kind of influence that we were going to have. And he's saying, if you will trust me with all of that, and I will show you the right path kind of step by step and as you seek after my heart and my will I'm going to show you those choices to make so that you can live for the gospel because sometimes when we make choices for God it will cost us some things here on this earth right when we make choices for God it may cost us something we see that all through the book of Acts where they were making choices for God. And uh, if you read the book of Hebrews, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. But the reason the book of Hebrews was written is because it needed to encourage the early Christians who were uh, leaving other faiths and they were being disowned by their families because they were leaving other faiths. And so the book of Hebrews, he's like, look, I need to encourage you. Cling to the hope of the cross. Cling to eternity. Cling to what God has, has given you. Like this is real. Eternity is real. And it begins to paint this picture of what it looks like. And Esther has this courage as we begin to walk in it and to see it. And so the last thing that I'd like to do is just kind of encourage you to see is that Esther begins to realize and she gets this extreme clarity after seeking the heart of God. But she realizes what she must do, right? Have you ever noticed that in moments of our lives where things just become a little more clear and we're going, okay, I, maybe I wasn't hyper-focused on that, but now I'm back. Now I know what I need to be focused on. And I believe Esther has this moment of faith of going, okay, I was born for such a time as this. Now now I need to do what God is asking me to do. I'm willing to go talk for the king because I'm willing to be a voice for my people. I'm willing to be this so that God can bring these people out of this soon destruction. And you and I, maybe we're not maybe we're not having this voice of bringing somebody out of destruction or a whole people group. But I believe in the New Testament, you and I all are called to be a voice for the gospel. Esther is speaking up for physical lives who were getting ready to be lost. But you and I, we have an opportunity to speak up for the kingdom work, speak up for the gospel that God has placed us in our sphere of influence to help people see and experience Jesus where they are separated from him. They're going to spend eternity away from God. But yet you and I hold the message and the cure and the hope of Christ in us. And God wants to get us through that through us so that they can experience the kingdom of God. And we see this amazing work begin to happen. If you're taking notes, the greatest work we can give our life to is kingdom work. The greatest work that you and I can give our lives to 
is kingdom work. And that's not to say we all have to leave our jobs and we're all going to be church planners. That would be awesome. We all get in a group together. But um, you, may be, you may be a teacher or a nurse or stay-at-home mom or wherever God has placed you in those moments, right? You could be retired. You could be a salesman. Whatever it may be, wherever you are, God wants you to use your sphere of influence for His kingdom work, right? And with your family, your neighborhood, all of those pieces for His kingdom work and so we have to read throughout scripture and and begin to think about what is the kingdom work that God has called us to first that's knowing who we are in Christ right so that I can live out of knowing who I am in Christ live out of being and then also we see all throughout scripture sometimes that's feeding the hungry and thirsty right sometimes that's taking care of orphans and widows Right, The kingdom work that God has called us to, we see all throughout Scripture. Sometimes uh, we see that God is calling us to reach out and to share the gospel and praying over people, encouraging them. We see that God's called every Christian to make disciples. Right, God's called every Christian to share the hope of Jesus Christ all over the world. Sometimes that means using our gifts and talents for the Lord. And I love how Jacob, uh, I don't have that gift. I wish I had that gift if I could just go around places and sing. But hey, man, he just spent a whole week in Honduras and I I think he's saying more in Honduras than he does here in America, right? But God gave him that gift of going, here, you have this. I've given it to you. Now just release it to what God wants to do in you and through you. And so God's called us to do that. And there's this uh, theme that's been on my heart and on my mind. And it's two words. And I shared this maybe about six months ago. You guys may remember this or you may not. But it's this theme of hopeful urgency. Hopeful urgency. That in Christ, we are called to be hopeful. Because as we talked about last week, we know who wins in the end, right? Amen. We know that Jesus will win. Just like Mordecai said, God will triumph. He will raise up people to be leaders and, and to do that. He will. We know that we can live hopeful, but yet we have this urgency that God's called us to. Did you know that in Buford and Jasper County, when we planted this church five years ago, uh, there are 101,000 people that on the census checked, they have no religion. They, they, they consciously picked and said, no, I have none. That, they, uh, that section in the religious where they said that and there are 101,000 people that you and I interact with every single day uh, walking out through this. And we believe that God's called us here for a reason. Amen. And we see this, that there's this hopeful urgency that God is lighting that in us and through us. And I begin to think about this story. And uh, the Holy Spirit kind of just confirmed that in me as they were singing uh, oceans a little bit but I love the story when the disciples are on the boat and Jesus sends them out and a storm comes and Jesus is away praying right and Jesus sends them out into the storm and the storm's raging and these professional fishermen are fearing for their life they don't know if they're going to die the boat's going to capsize and all of a sudden they look out and they're like is that a ghost who is that on the water like what and all of a sudden they realize like wait a second that's that's Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water towards us. And they're just emotions, I'm sure, are overwhelmed. And they're questioning. They're like, am I going crazy? Did I sleep enough? Like, who? Like Jesus. And Jesus comes out and he begins to, to call them. But what I love is Peter, right? Peter, what does Peter do? He sees this chaos. He sees the, the, they don't know if the boat's about to capsize. He sees Jesus out on the water. And Peter has the notion and the gumption to go, huh? Can I come out too? 
Can I walk on the water too? I just love that about Peter. Sometimes he, he, he uh, says stuff too fast and you see him getting in trouble. But yet Peter goes, you know what, Jesus, you're doing it out there. Just maybe, maybe can I do it too? Can I, can I experience this too? Can I walk on water too? And I love that. And what does Jesus do? Get back in the boat. What's wrong with you? I'm the only one that walks on water. No, well, Jesus goes, come on. You want to? You want to have the faith? Come on. Get out of the boat, right? And Peter gets out of the boat and he's like, this is amazing. This is crazy. And then he looks up at the waves and he's like, oh no, this is crazy. I can't do it. And he begins to sink and Jesus pulls him back out of the water. And he looks at Peter who just asked if he could walk on water. And he says, why don't you have faith? And he puts him back in the boat. I just love that. I want to be a church where you and I, the storms are raging around us and we're going, hey, Jesus, can we get out of the boat too? Hey, Jesus, we have the faith. Can you use us too, God? I know it looks a little crazy. The storms are raging right now and it looks a little scary and maybe I, uh, the people around me are going to think I'm crazy a little bit. Like, oh, there's this crazy Jesus person again. But God, can you use me too? Can I get out of the boat too? I'm willing to do this for you. I'm willing to go to Honduras for you. I'm willing to go to my neighbor for you. I'm willing to go to work for you. God, can you use me too, right? And I love that notion of going, God, but it comes out of this deep relationship with Jesus first. Of being connected to the true vine. Of wanting to know more of him. Because Peter, that wasn't the first time he stepped down on faith and it, wouldn't be the, it won't be the last time that God continues to increase our faith as we trust him more and more in our lives. And so just like the point of Esther of going, okay, if this is going to cost me, then it's going to cost me. But God, I just want to make the choice that's right for you. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for your kingdom work, God. I believe that you are generational, Right? And we're going to see here in the next few moments just how generational God is. Because Esther is not just a book about Esther. You're going to see that Esther is connected to the rest of the Bible. And the reason we're still even talking today, right? We see this in a huge moment that God uses and connects all of us for generations to come. And you and I are praying our faith stronger and stepping out in faith and who Christ is. And so as I close here today, my question for you and I is going, what's that faith step for us. Maybe it's a moment of going, you know what? I need to do what Esther did because I have a lot of things in front of me and I need to pray maybe even fast. I just need to seek after the heart of God. And my challenge is, is yes to do that. But when the Holy Spirit gives us a little bit of clarity, act on that clarity. Take that step of faith in that clarity of whatever that may be as the Holy Spirit guides us because James tells us faith without works is dead, right? And so he gives us this moment of praying about it. And then when God gives us clarity, let me take that step for you. And then also for us as a church to go, you know what, God, I want you to use us too. I want you to use me too. I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to be bold for you. I'm willing to reach out to those around me because I'm living for eternity. I'm living for the kingdom work. And so let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for uh, these people who lived thousands of years ago, God, how you use them and how you can still use the principles from your word and from your truth and how it just becomes alive to us, God. And God, I pray that uh, as we think about seeking after your heart, we know that the opposition is going to be there, God, but I pray that you would fill us up. God, I pray that you would encourage us. Give us strength, God. 
Give us strength to know that we can overcome. Give us strength to know that we can seek after you. Give us strength to know that we can stand for you, God. God, in the moments and the seasons where it's incredibly difficult, where it just feels like the waves are crashing over us, God, I pray in those moments we cling to the cross. We cling to know that our heart and our treasure is in you, God, is in eternity. And that you're going to help us get through that day. And you're going to help us get through the next day, God. And you're going to help us get through the next day. And that you would fill us up to the point, God, where we're overflowing to not only where it's about us, but now it's about my neighbors. God has placed me in my neighborhood for such a time as this. God has placed me in my work for such a time as this. God has placed me in the low country for such a time as this. And God, I pray that you would use us Use our church for your glory. God, I pray that you give us strength, give us boldness and courage in your word and in your truth. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.